a minute here and turn to the Lord. Thanks, Matt. I knew you'd deliver. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning. We've just been singing, I need you, Lord, I need you. And we, we certainly know that that is true in every moment of every day. I would just pray, Lord, this morning that uh, you would help with making your, your word clear. This is a difficult thing to talk about this morning. And uh, I just uh, would pray, Father, that we would glean from your word as you have asked us to remember these things, that these things have been put in the scriptures for our example. This very account that we're going to look at today was put here as an example to us so that we would learn from it. And I pray that we do so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to Numbers chapter 16. We're actually close to wrapping up on the series um, on attitudes, and I am again hoping to cover off what's on my iPad here, but it's not on the wall, so I guess we're in the dark. Okay, I'm not going to worry about that. Tell me when it's there, and then, then I'll move to the next slide. We've, uh, we, this is a short series that I, supposed to be a short series, I started back a number of months ago, but when you're on, uh, you know, kind of on a monthly basis, it, it kind of spreads things out a little bit. Just some of the attitudes that we looked at in the past, um, according to the slide I have, there we go. The first thing we looked at was taking an attitude of complaining and, and replacing it with an attitude of thankfulness. Um, we, we looked at this from the example as we saw as the children of Israel, as, as we know, just to review, they were in Egypt as, we, as, as we're fully aware, they were in bondage, they were in slavery, and Moses was chosen by God to lead them out and to take them across to the promised land. And as they went to the promised land, they got bogged down and, and so on in, in, in the desert. I, I don't have really the time to, to elaborate on a whole lot of that, but, but as that happened, they got... Oh, okay. So I can ignore what I'm seeing there, which is me speaking and my voice going up and down on a graph. Okay, good. Um, so um, as, they, as they went through, through, the, through the desert, uh, they started murmuring. And these murmurings reflected the actual attitudes of their hearts. And they weren't good. Uh, murmuring is not a good thing. And God took this murmuring very seriously. And the first thing that they did was they started to complain. And we looked at putting off that attitude of complaining and replacing it with one of thankfulness. Then we looked at covetousness, something that a lot of us think we don't deal with in our lives, but as we dig in more and more, we probably do. And replacing that with an attitude of contentment. Criticism, a bad attitude. Replace that with an attitude of love. And doubting, replace that with an attitude of faith. As I said in the past, a lot of these thoughts come from uh, a book that I've read a couple times now called Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. Uh, and this morning, I want to look at the attitude of rebellion uh, as illustrated in the book of Numbers. And how can we replace that with a promised land attitude? Rebellion is something that, here's what James McDonald says about rebellion, first of all. Rebellion against proper authority reveals a deeper rejection of God's authority, which brings devastating consequences in our lives. And we're going to see that today. Now, I, I, I said, this is going to be an easy one. I'm not a rebel. I don't deal with rebellion in my life. I mean, that's, if there's something that is a sin that defines me, it's not rebellion. No. Anything else but. And then I started thinking, huh, 
Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay. Rebellion is something that I believe, and I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. It's a little deeper in there than I thought. It's there in my life. It comes up in my life. It comes up in the way I act at times. It's, it's knowing what God wants me to do and refusing to do it. That pretty much sums it up. Is there ever a time in my life that I know what God wants me to do and I refuse to do it? I have to answer yes. That's a difficult thing. You see it throughout the Bible. King Saul, Samson, Jonah, just to name a few. And then when I walk by the mirror, I see it in me. Rebellion is something that sometimes we might not wear on the outside. We might not just, I'm a rebel. We might not do that. But it's in here. I think it's part of our makeup. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. The first sin was a rebellion against God. When God wants me to do something and I don't do it, I'm acting in rebellion. So in this account, we're going to look at the children of Israel as a journey to the promised land and look at the rebellion in their lives. And, Lord willing, we're going to look at an attitude to replace that. All right. Rebellion. Are you serious? Like, really? Rebellion? You're, you're, I just said that we're all rebels in some way. And you're thinking, how serious is that? Well, first of all, here's what the Lord says about rebellion. He says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He said that to King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, you're saying, wait a second now. All those horrific and perverse things that witches do, you're saying that you know, my little rebellion is that? Hmm, you probably wouldn't do that stuff. You probably don't do the things that, that are tied to witchcraft. But from God's perspective, if we rebel against him, he sees it no different than the hideous sins of witchcraft. So God takes it seriously. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, we read, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resist authority, has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Ooh. What is this talking about? You see, this passage we're going to look at this morning is rebellion against people. Not against truth, not against the word of God, but against people, against others, against the leadership of other people. You know, we live in a day where there's all kinds of rebellion against authorities that God has put in place. It, it's just, it's all around us. It, it almost defines our day. We, we live, we celebrate the great church of me. That's, that's the land we live in. That's the way our society thinks. I am the center of the universe. And what, it's what I think that matters, and you can't tell me otherwise. And rebellion runs through our society. But I, I don't want to talk about our society. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about us, believers. Do we have attitudes of rebellion in our lives? And it says that God has put powers and ordained powers over us, authorities over us. So what powers am I speaking of? I could pull out a pop quiz here and ask you to, I'll do that. Stick your hand up and, hands up, somebody, and tell me a, 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 somebody who's an authority over you. Presidents. What is it? Presidents. Presidents, those in authority in the government, right? Presidents. Prime Ministers, governing authorities. Anything else? 
Your mom, good one. <laughs> I'm gonna text her right now. <laughs> Anything else? Parents over? Your boss at work, yes. Teachers at school, very good. Preachers. Preachers. <laughs> well, there are leaders in the church, right? There's elders in the church, there's pastors in the church. That's, that's a good one. I wasn't gonna be a self-promoter on that one. Um, our bosses, the justice system, right? Police, judges, they rule over us. They might, we might not agree with their decisions. Um, husbands as leaders of the home. No one threw that one out. <laughs> Where do we get there? So, you know, God has put in place authority over us. These are powers that are ordained by God. And so this chapter that we're going to look at, it's about rebellion against people, not against the truth, as I said. So let's, let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. The first point I want to make, oh yeah, there's the list. You guys did pretty, pretty good. I think you got most of them. Rebellion is in every human heart. Now, verses 1 and 2. This is a long, long passage, and I'm not going to be able to read it all today, so we'll just kind of summarize as we go along. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. That's important, the son of Levi. Dathan and Abriam, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben took action, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. Now I want you to notice those two names, Reuben and Levi. They're founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So who are these rebels? Are they like outcasts and troublemakers and just guys who were just like sat at the room and back and made fun of Moses and Aaron? all the time, you know, they, they made the spitballs and all that stuff. Were they guys like that? It, it, no. What does it say here? It says, in the NIV, it says, well-known community leaders. They're men of renown. They're not guys that are on the fringe. They're leaders. Rebellion can hit the leaders. Rebellion can be bound up in the heart of the best of people who serve God. Any of us. We're not exempt. Korah is a, a descendant of Levi, a tribe given responsibility for leading in the tabernacle in worship. Korah had a significant place in the worship in the tabernacle. And we also see Dathan and Abraham, they were Reubenites, and they helped to lead the rebellion. Now, before we get into number 16, I want you to realize that rebellion is in every human heart. If these are the leaders, think of it. It, if, if it starts at leadership, it can go everywhere. Rebellion. The first couple in the Garden of Eden. God said to them, you can have 99.9% .9 of everything in the Garden. No problem. We always think, oh, how restrictive was God? Stay away from that one tree. No, he said 99.99%, .99%, the same percentage of germs that Purell will kill, right? You can touch anything and everything you want in that garden, one tree. It was a huge garden. Actually, you read the, the size of it, the, the, the scope of the garden, it was huge. One tree, stay away. What did they do? Went to the one tree, ate the fruit. Rebellion. It started right there. And it's been passed on to you and to me 
from Adam as part of our sin nature. We have a propensity in ourselves to rebel. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is rebellion. Children rebel. We rebel. Now, rebellion can have many sources. Korah, the son of Nizar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, he started the rebellion, and he, he organized this group against Moses. He's the guy who got on the phone and pulled the group together. He called around and said, all right, we've got to get this thing going. This, this, we're, we're, this, we've had enough. You know, back to what, what I said about how does the Lord think of rebellion. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to e towards evil, a false witness who utters lies. We don't have a problem with any of that stuff. And look at this last one. And one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates rebellion. He hates people who stir it up. He hates people who gossip in the background, who get on the phone and stir it up against the leadership, who stir it up against those in authority. God hates that. It says right here, hates, things that the Lord hates. That's a serious thing. That's how seriously God takes rebellion. So there are a number of things. Moses, first of all, was, was ordained by God. He was their leader. They were not. So here's what they, going back to verse 3. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all this congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now I want you to notice there are lies and there are half-truths in here. First of all, there is some truth to this. The Lord is with his people and he is in their midst. But then they say this, Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? You know, really nothing could be further than the truth. I remember reading of Moses stammering before the burning bush, like, P -p -p please send somebody other than me. I, 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 have, I have a speech impediment. That's, that's the first thing. I, I, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. Send Aaron. Send anybody. Don't send me. Not me. He didn't want to do it. But God had chosen him as the leader. He was ordained by God. He was reluctant, but he did it. He was called by God. And they were correct that they were all equal with Moses. But equality is not the same as sameness. They were equal but not the same. He was the leader. He was chosen by God to lead. He was equal in personhood before God. God looked at, at, at Korah and he looked at Moses and he saw them as people. Exactly the same. But they had a different role. Korah had a role to lead worship in the, in the tabernacle. Moses had a role to lead two million people through the desert, through the wilderness, to make the decisions, the hard decisions, the hard calls, and to do it. So the same principle is true in the body of Christ. We are all equal. Everybody here in the eyes of the Lord is equal. We are, 100%. Your value as a human being is exactly the same to God. But we are not all the same. And we're not all chosen to do the same things. You're equal with your boss but you're not the same as your boss. Wives are equal to their husbands, but they're not the same as their husbands. Students are equal to their teachers in personhood before God, but they're not the same as them. Different roles. Sameness in who you are 
as a person, a human, but difference in role before God. We are equal as followers of Christ, but God appoints people over us. And Korah and his group were way off base on this. They were equal to Moses, but they weren't the same. Moses was their leader. So there's six things that I called out as sources of rebellion that can drive us into rebellion. First of all, jealousy. They say, well, why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of, of the Lord? This is about control. They wanted the place. They wanted the prominence. Why is it you? Why not me? I remember hearing about a, a man in a church one time sitting down with one of the elders and, and, and saying to them, you know, I've been here way longer than you. Why am I not the elder? Why am I not the guy? I should be the guy. I'm older than you and I've been here longer. Well, that's rebellion. That's jealousy. That's, that's gone out of control. That's what, exactly what happened here. And it could happen in the workplace. It could happen in the home. It's difficult sometimes when you have to, at work as a manager, supervise people who are older and been longer in the business than you. It's, difficulty in the, it's difficult in the home. Sometimes you might have a wife who's been a believer longer than you, knows much more about the Bible, knows much more about how to run a home, knows much more, but you're still the leader of the home. And sometimes it can be difficult. But you can't usurp that position over the other person. That's where God has placed them. The second thing is delusions. First, in verse 4, look at this. Moses, when he heard this, he fell on his face. This shows that Moses, they said, okay, you've gone far enough. Why is it you lord this over all of us? Now, if you say that to somebody and they fall on their face in front of you, they're probably not lording anything over anybody, right? He was a humble leader. It says in chapter 12, he was the meekest man or the humblest man on the face of the earth at that time. Just had delusions about who Moses was. He was not this power-hungry schemer. Notice Moses in verse 8, what he says here. He says, now hear this, you sons of Levi, you've gone too far. They said, well, you've gone too far. No, you've gone too far. No, you've gone too far. It keeps going back and forth. On this, this little showdown. So I'm going to put words in Moses' mouth. I think what he says, what he says, now you hear this, you've gone too far. He's saying, all right, you want my job? Where were you when I was trembling on the mountain in front of a burning bush? Where were you when the army of Pharaoh was coming behind me and hemming me in and there was nothing in front of us but the Red Sea? Where were you when all of that stuff happened? Where were you when everybody was dying of thirst and there was nothing but rocks in the desert? You want my job? That's kind of what he was saying. He says, all right, well, well, well let's, let's decide here today who's going to be the one that God has chosen. So he tells them through the process to go get fire pans, sensors, it's, it'll, if you read in your, in your uh, scriptures there, to go get the fire pans, put the coals in them, bring them before the Lord, and the Lord will choose who's going to be the leaders, who was who his and who is not. And then what, as a result, we'll see what happens. The earth opens up and they're swallowed alive. So... Like most leaders, Moses had to go through a lot of work, a lot of apprenticeship to get where he was. And they were, they were jealous and they were deluded in their, in their approach. Ungratefulness. Verse 9. Is it not enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel? These were men who had esteemed positions. These men had position and they had a place in, in the leading of the worship. Is it not enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation and minister to them? 
They had privilege and they had opportunity and they had special service that they were doing before the Lord. Yet they were ungrateful to the Lord. If we have a rebellious attitude, it just shows that we are not grateful for what the Lord has done for us and what he has done in our lives. They wanted to be a priest as well. It wasn't enough to just serve. They wanted to be a priest. They wanted the elevated position of priesthood. Another root, because I do have to move along here to get through here, is stubbornness. Then in verse 12, Moses, Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abraham, sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. We're not, we're not coming. <laughs> so the leader of two million people, it's like the prime minister sends you a note saying, I'd like to see you in my office, and I'll get you there. I'm not coming. Imagine doing that. Imagine the principal of the school says, come to my office. I remember those days. <coughs> come to my office and you say, no, I'm not going. Can you imagine? That's what these guys did. I'm not going. Stubbornness is rebellion. So I have to ask myself, and you can ask yourself and don't answer out loud, am I hard to agree with? Is it easy to lead me or is it hard to lead me? And do I have a flexible spirit or a rigid spirit? If you pride yourself on being stubborn, it's rebellious. I don't care what your mother told you. If your mother told you stubbornness is a gift, she was wrong, she lied to you. Stubbornness is not a good thing. Stubbornness is a bad thing. Stubbornness will lead you to be a rebel. James McDonald says this in his book, Stubbornness will take you a long way, but you better bring food and water because the road of stubbornness leads to the wilderness. It takes you to a bad place. The other thing is uh, disappointment. Verse 13, it's not enough, that you, or is it not enough that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you lord it over us? Now, when you read that, you almost chuckle. Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? That's what we always heard for the, for the children of Israel. Let's go to Egypt. Milk and honey, beautiful, no. I do believe that they had a guy named Pharaoh that was running them ragged, making bricks without straws. I'm pretty sure there was no milk and no honey. So they're deluded. They're, 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 I know they're disappointed. They haven't made it to this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey yet. And here they are in this desert. They're looking for milk and honey, and, and they, they get so deluded to think that I came from milk and honey. They haven't. Expressing disappointment. See, here's the thing. What they were feeling was real, but it wasn't right. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed? I know my wife had to make a phone call yesterday with somebody who was extremely disappointed. And they're probably still very, very disappointed. But if that disappointment turns into lashing out and rebellion and, and turning on leaders and turning on others, it's wrong. It's very real. Disappointment it happens to all of us. But how we react to disappointment is the issue. Distrust. Distrust. Verse 14. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So now they're at the point saying, okay, we don't even trust you, Moses. You'll probably put, your, put our eyes out. You'll probably kill us. You'll probably do something very, very evil to us if we do come up. Not only did they distrust him, 
but they, detrust, they distrusted his motives and his judgments. They were thinking, their thinking had become totally warped. So let me move on. Those are the sources of rebellion. There's, there's, I'm sure there's a, there's a million others. The consequences of rebellion. The first thing that happened in verse 23, 24, if you look, it says, Then the Lord spoke with Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Ebriam. So God finally has had enough. And what happens first is what I would call leadership withdrawal. Okay, we're pulling back. We're going to get away from you. You're on your own. Uh, I remember back a number of years ago working with a guy, and he was a rebel at work. He was the guy who always stirred it up. And he was there for years, and he stirred it up, stirred it up, stirred it up. And we were all kind of friends with him because he was the funniest guy we worked with. And he could always make us laugh, and he was always kind of a fun guy to go to lunch with, and he was a fun guy to hang, if you're going to hang out at the water cooler or whatever, he's the guy you hung out with because he, he, was, he was just kind of a fun sort of guy. But he was a rebel. He would never do what he was told. And I remember the day that my boss came in, and he, he called three of us into to my office, and, and he said, uh, I just want you to be aware of something. You should probably put some distance between yourself and this guy. What? Put some distance between yourself and this guy because I can't protect anybody who's going to be close to him with what's coming. I'm thinking, whoa, never heard that before. Well, you know what came? They walked everything in his office to the curb, threw it out there, and told him, get. That's what came in a few weeks. He was fired, and he was fired in a really, really bad way. And anybody who was close to him had a black mark on them. So, leadership withdrawal. God said to Moses, get back. You don't want to get too close to Korah. Something's coming. You don't want to be too close. You know, in every sphere, whether it's in the home or the job or the church, leaders are put there for your protection. Leadership is, is it's like an umbrella that's put up over you. It's protection. You know, there's a lot of hurting thi hurtful things going on in the world. The rain could still be falling all around you, but if you fall under leadership, you will be protected. If you step out from out under that and you decide you're going to go out on your own in rebellion, you're putting yourself in danger. If Moses said, well, maybe I'll just hang around a little longer. I'm sure I can talk some sense to these guys. No, God said, put some distance between yourself and them. This is going to fall, and you don't want to be close by. So that's the first thing that can happen. It's a bad place to be. If the leaders pull away from you, your boss, your teacher, whatever. It's a bad place to be. It hurts innocent people. It's a terrible consequence. Korah led this insurrection from out, uh, out from under Moses' authority, and he couldn't protect anybody. He led these other guys along with him. He led the rebels to a place that they couldn't, he couldn't protect them, and innocent people suffered as a result. It says here in Numbers uh, chapter 16, verse 27, So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah and Dathan and Abraham, and Dathan and Abraham came out and stood in the doorway of their tents, along with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Now the little ones didn't start the rebellion. The little ones didn't desire to start this up. But they got swept into the whole thing. The rebellion spread. And innocent lives got hurt. Innocent people got hurt. There is good news on this because later you'll read psalms that are written by the sons of Korah. Not all of his children agreed. Some of them had the, the sense to say, we're with Moses, and they left because you read their psalms. The next thing is rebellion brings, brings judgment. Judgment came from God. 
Verse 27, so they got back from around the dwellings of Korah and Dathan and Abram, and Dathan and Abram came out and stood in the doorway of the tents along the wall. Okay, I didn't, uh, that, that's what happens when uh, you cut and paste the wrong thing. Okay, verse 28 to 35. Moses said, by this you shall know the, the Lord has sent uh, me to do these deeds. This is not my doing. For if these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord brings about the, an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And as he finished speaking these words, the ground under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel around them fled from their outcry. And they said, the earth may swallow us up. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense, as I mentioned in the censers. The fourth thing, fourth consequence, and we're going to move on, is that the infection of rebellion can spread quickly. I want you to notice something here in, in, uh, in verse 41. It says, but on the next day, the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones who caused the death of the Lord's people. So they really learned a lesson, didn't they? The next day, not the next month, not a week later, not a year later, the next day, the children of Israel started grumbling again. So this whole thing, this grumbling that led to the deaths of all of these people, and they witnessed it and saw it, the next day, they grumbled. Now, here's the thing about rebellion. If you go back to verse 11, it says, Therefore you and all your company are gathered together. Moses said this to them. Who? Against me? No. Against the Lord. Rebellion is against God. If we're going to live in rebellion, it's, it's against God. God didn't see this as a rebellion against Moses. He saw it as a rebellion and a rejection of the authority that God had put in place. It's against him. So how do we change our attitudes if we're living in rebellion? Here's three things, three questions. Am I a rebel? Don't answer this out loud, but pray about this. Are there things in my life, Lord, bring to mind things. I, I started thinking about this in my own life. Are there things in my life where I act in opposition to you, where I act in rebellion? Am I reaping the consequences in my relationship with God? It's true. If, if we have these negative attitudes in our lives, we will have consequences where we will be out of fellowship with God. They will affect our walk with God. They will affect how we get along with one another. They will affect us in our lives. Thirdly, am I willing to repent? If I recognize I'm living in rebellion, if I recognize I have any of these attitudes that we've talked about, am I willing to turn from it? Am I willing to walk this way, as Clyde demonstrated to us at the, at the picnic, and have a change in my mind about myself, about my sin, and about God, and then move towards coming back to God, seeking forgiveness? Repentance is the key action. So, all right, rebellion. Here's what we need to do, and, and this is not like part B of the sermon that's going to take as long as the first part. Replace that rebellious attitude with an attitude of submission. Now, as soon as I say that word, the submission word, 
four-letter word of the scriptures to some people. People look at it and say, oh yeah, great. Message on submission. Just Well, you know what? I feel just as uncomfortable <laughs> trying to speak on submission as you probably do hearing about it. But here's the thing. Here's why people get uncomfortable. And here's why people get bent on the idea of submission. It's because someone has abused or misused the concept of submission. That's why people feel uncomfortable as soon as they hear the word. People have hijacked it because they're self-minded, selfish, and perhaps cruel and authoritarian. That hijacks the whole meaning and beauty of submission. They twist the truth and they distort the truth for their own purposes. And I don't want to abandon a subject that is taught in God's word. God says in his word that we are to submit. There are roles, there are, there are roles and places that he puts us in where we are to submit to those who are over us. Submission, it's a biblical teaching and needs to be properly understood. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Before we go there, I'm going to read this verse from Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those who exist that are established by God. We, we already um, named what some of those authorities are. The police, the, the, uh, the government, um, teachers, bosses, husbands, all of these things that God has put in place. So not every, uh, so it says here, every person is to be in subjection. In this, in this verse in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, every single believer is to practice on an ongoing basis submission. Everyone. So before we ask wives, children, those in the church, employees to submit, we are to submit, be submissive believers, all of us, to one another. It says in... Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another in fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in fear of Christ. We are all to put the other ahead of ourselves. Now, we're going to look at four truths very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 13, First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 25. And I want to encourage you this morning after talking about rebellion. First of all, Submission is duty to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's a king as one in authority, or governors sent by him, that's the king, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Notice first we are to submit ourselves. Submit ourselves, it says. Not force submission. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Forced submission from the top down is the way it works. It's not forced down upon you from above. In fact, the leader is to lead from the bottom up. Servant leadership. Submission is to be a choice, not top down, but leading from the bottom up. Bearing the burdens of those of whom you've been given the responsibility. Submission is a choice. So if you or I are in a role where we need to submit. It's a choice of the heart that God asks us to make. Verse 13 and 14, we're told to submit to every human institution, whether it's a king or one in authority. Verse 17 tells us to honor all people. Verse 18 tells us, servants, be submissive to your masters. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. To sum it up, all of you, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, uh, brother, brotherly kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Wives are to submit to husbands, children to parents, servants to masters, citizens to authorities. But it's a choice, and it's to be done in honor and humility. It's our choice to make. We have to do it. Principle number two. Submission is protection by God. Governors are sent, it says in verse 14, governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do it right. It speaks of how the justice system is supposed to work. It speaks of how, how, how those who do evil should be punished in our land. But it also speaks of the praise of those who do right. You see, God, does, is, his desire from us is that we do right, no matter what. You know, no matter what the boss's life, maybe she, maybe she leaves every day at three o'clock and, and you're there slaving away till six or seven. What are you supposed to do? Say, I'm leaving at 305. No. We work under them. We serve by doing right. And it says in uh, verse 15, it says, by doing right, you may silence the ignorance, or verse five, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Boy, we could use some of that these days, couldn't we? Silence the ignorance of foolish men. When you choose to live under the umbrella, God's protection of, by submitting to God, you're doing right. In fact, I, I actually brought an umbrella to, to illustrate this. So, pardon my fancy umbrella, but we bought it for December when we were singing down, down on the street. Remember that? So, when I'm under the umbrella of protection of those who God has put in authority over me, I'm protected. It's raining all around me. It's all the, all the bad stuff is happening all around me, but I'm protected. It's not falling on my head. I choose to live under here. As soon as I do this, I expose myself, and whatever may happen will happen to me. Submission, rebellion, humility, pride, love, Clyde before me, you before me. I have rights. I'm going to wait on God. No, I'm going to force this one. I'm going, to, I'm going to act on my own. You get the point? When we live under submission, we're protected. When we say, I won't and rebel, we're exposed. And we're in danger. Thank you, Barry, for lending me that umbrella. Principle number three. Submission is favor from God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. For if, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But... If when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure, this finds favor with God. When we submit, it finds favor with God. When God sees you bearing up under injustice with a submissive spirit, he will bless you. It finds favor with him. And the fourth principle is submission is intimacy with God. There's a unique fellowship that we have with Christ through submission 
in our suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. What steps? By submitting to ungodly authorities and finding God's favor through it. Suffering is part of our faith. It's going to happen. It says in, uh, here's Christ's example, the next verse, 22 and 25, to 25. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. If there's anything in my life that will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I can trace it directly to those times that I've submitted to the favor of God. The times that I've fallen in line with those God has put over me. Three questions in closing. Do I practice submission? A suggestion was made that you make a, a list of the primary authorities in your life and, and rank on a scale of one to ten where you fall in line on submission. One being total rebellion, ten being total submission. What's your attitude toward them? How can I work from getting those one to threes to nine and tens? Am I experiencing the results of submission? Can you illustrate submission in your life by the decisions that have cost you? It's easy to submit to a caring and gentle leader, but what about those who are unrealistic? What about the difficult times? Have you been able to submit to them? Do you see a difference in your life when you do submit versus rebel? Rebellion takes you to a bad place, as I said. Submission will always take you to a good place. And thirdly and finally, am I ready to submit to those who I've resisted? This is a hard one. And through much prayer, you need to ask God to show you and how, how you have rebelled and, and how, can I, how can I make things right? How can I submit to those who have, have been difficult in my life? Those who are leaders over me who have perhaps caused me some pain. It's real. Just like I said, the disappointment for the children of Israel was real. But their attitude was wrong. We may face disappointment. We may face hardship. We may face suffering. And that's very real. But how we react to it, is it, it, is it out of rebellion or is it out of submission to God's word? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. May you help us, Lord. I know today it's been a hot day and it's difficult to, to take some of this in sometimes, but I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts if there are attitudes that we need to change, that we may do so. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, first of all, to be submissive to you. If, if we have a rebellious heart about anything in our lives, may we see it as what it is. It's against you. May we be respectful of those who are in authority over us. Lord, we, we, we know sometimes we, we may not have even voted this government in. We may not like what the police are doing. We may not like what our teacher has said or our boss or our husband or, or our parents. And sometimes they are wrong. And it makes it hard. But our attitude can make it worse. Our attitude can take us to a bad place. Help us, Lord. Even when we're facing difficult leaders, even when we're facing difficult situations in our lives, to submit to you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we may change, 
to love you and to walk with you more. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.